back to another episode of Motor City Bets. This is your host, Trevor, and my co-host, Josh. How are you doing today, Josh? I'm doing good, Trevor. I'm very excited to get back at it with you. In today's episode, we've got a lot to break down with the divisional playoffs wrapping up this week, as well as some Detroit sports talk. How was uh how have you been? I'm pretty good, Josh. I spent a weekend up north skiing. Uh, it's always good to spend some time in northern Michigan. Uh, the, I had to drive back today because I have to go to work tomorrow. And I got to say, man, the roads were, were a little bit rough. Um, you know, hopefully everyone made it home safe. If anyone else went up north this weekend, saw a couple deer on the road, which gave us a little bit of excitement for sure. I came within <laughs> probably about six inches from absolutely fucking smoking one. Probably my closest encounter in a few years, but, uh, you know, it's exactly like you read about just exciting stuff. Definitely a riveting drive home. Uh, I'm, I'm very glad to hear that my co-host has made it back to, uh, to his humble abode safely. So Trevor, let's, uh, let's kick things off and the NHL is now beginning to get underway. Let's talk a little bit here about our beloved Detroit Red Wings and how they've looked in their first couple of games this year. Well, Josh, I appreciate the uh, the well wishes. Oh, geez, my safe return home. Uh, definitely brutal out there. But the Wings are looking like a hockey team. And that's, you know, I'm questioning it a little bit because I don't know if it's 100% true yet. They're one and two for the first three games. Uh, which that record doesn't really inspire confidence. A number that inspires even less confidence is the fact that they're 0-6 on the power play. But they're playing a little bit of competitive hockey. That that win on Saturday came with a three-goal third-period effort, which is basically unheard of compared to the 2019-2020 Red Wings. Pretty much as soon as they started to lose, the game was over. I unfortunately didn't get a chance to watch as much of all the games as I want to since I was up north skiing. However, I was able to watch all of Monday's game with, you know, the on MLK day. Uh, they, they tipped off at fucking 12 o'clock, which is perfect. And they played a pretty intense game. They went up early in that one, and then they ended up losing the lead. And there was a faint hint where we were going to get a little bit of the old wings where they weren't going like, to just completely rolled over. However... Yeah, there was a lot of there's they were serving a lot of intensity kind of around the halfway point of the third period, started generating some pretty intense scoring chances and eventually tied one up in a real, real scrummy way, making it three two. Um, all in all, they were pretty, pretty aggressive. I think kind of one of the key storylines from this one has been Dylan Larkin's captaincy. I think that everyone in Detroit who's been following the Red Wings or even people who have ever even heard of the Red Wings probably kind of figured that Dylan Larkin was gonna be the next captain. So that announcement was made prior to the start of the season, which was pretty hype. And, you know, today he kind of led by example, too. Uh, one of his – this story has been blown up all over NHL media and especially all over early hockey Twitter early in the day, talking about how Dylan Larkin left some tickets for one of his, his longtime Michigan native buddies, Zach Arensky, who plays defense for Columbus Blue Jackets. He left tickets for his family since, you know, guest family – guest Guest tickets aren't allowed right now, but family tickets are LCA. So Dylan left his tickets for his buddy's parents who live in Michigan. And in the game, Dylan and Zach got in a fight following the wing's second goal. It's pretty, pretty interesting to see. It shows a lot of a lot of compassion or a lot of or rather a lot of passion 
coming out of the wings, which I think is fantastic. They play the Columbus Blue Jackets again Tuesday night. So I think that that game's going to get real scummy. Uh, the way that the NHL has the, set up, the schedule set up this year, I think is actually perfect for this. Every every game feels a little bit more important with the shortened season. And it's so far allowed for a lot of competitive hockey and a lot of, uh, you know, some people would say old-time hockey where there's just a lot of violence and a lot of passion, which is just fantastic for us fans to see. You know, my only goal is hopefully to, to find my way to a game sometime this year. I would love to join you on that endeavor there, Trevor. As soon as we can, we will. I love that. Now, I think uh, in some other big news here in the city of Detroit, the Detroit Lions were able to fill the position of general manager, and they signed the college recruiter, or the, I'm sorry, the college scout from the Los, Los Angeles Rams, Brad Holmes. Trevor, what was your first initial reaction to this news? Uh, I got to be honest with you, Josh. My first initial reaction was like, who the fuck is this guy? I've uh, I had never <laughs> never previously heard of him. Uh, my second thought process was, why the fuck did we hire somebody who no one has ever heard of? And then my brain went into a bunch of mental gymnastics where I was like, okay, maybe having a guy who no one knows of is fantastic for the program, you know, complete fresh start, no prior bullshit he's got to deal with. I also went down the path of like, oh my God, we hired a nobody who's not going to help us at all. Where do you kind of land in that route, Josh? Are we completely fucked or is this some sort of, you know, diamond in the rough? If I'm being honest here, Trevor, I think this is an opportunity for a diamond in the rough. I don't I respect your positivity for sure. <laughs> That's how it is as a Lions fan, though. There's always optimism, at least from my side as a Lions fan. I'm optimistic about Brad Holmes as the college scout for the LA Rams. He has done a nice job picking up players over the course of his time there in Los Angeles with Jared Goff, Cooper Cup, Cam Akers. Uh, I don't want to say Aaron Donald because he fell to them at 13. That was by no means uh, an incredible pick, you know, earlier in the draft and maybe a top three, a top five draft pick. Based off the stuff that I'm hearing around the league, there's a lot of optimism and a lot of excitement towards Brad Holmes in some of the stuff I've been reading. He's been compared around the league to an up-and-coming Ozzie Newsome. For a lot of people listening, you're not going to have any clue of who the fuck Ozzie Newsome is. Ozzie Newsome is the general manager for the Baltimore Ravens. The Baltimore Ravens have been a very, very good team as of the last 10, 15 years leading back to the Joe Flacco, Ray Lewis, Ed Reed days. You know, the the Baltimore Ravens are now led by Lamar Jackson on the offensive side of the ball, as well as rookie running back J.K. Dobbins, who, as the season progressed, really grew into a, a starting running back in the NFL, which is, you know, good to see from a general manager's perspective, as well as 
the defensive side of the ball, Patrick Queen, their first round selection. He played very, very well this year. I think there's a lot of optimism. I, I don't know enough of, other than that about his, you know, background and his experience when it comes to, to football. But I do think there is, you know, room for optimism here in this scenario. I mean, that's definitely good to hear, Josh. And, you know, I am on the fence with this pick. I'm excited because, I mean, as a Detroit Lions fan, the fact that there's a chance that we have a guy who is good is is really cool. Uh, However, I kind of have the same kind of excitement I felt when we hired Bob Quinn. You know, it's a guy who I don't fully know a ton about. I'm not exactly sure what he can bring to the table, but I am definitely excited to see. That being said, the Lions kind of shook some shook some waves and made a lot of noise by hiring another guy that was seemingly a little bit unexpected in Dan Campbell. He, he comes from the Saints. What what do you really think about him so far, Josh? Like, are we like where's where's your rating here? Is this the best hire of all time, or is this another Matt Patricia? I think it's too early to tell. Now, it's not official that Dan Campbell has signed. That's true. That's that's a good point. It, he is the leading candidate, and it very well seems like it is his job to lose. From the information that I've gathered around the league, Dan Campbell is just a true gritty, hard-nosed leader. He brings a lot of passion and excitement to his coaching and to his style. And if I'm being honest, that's one of the things that I absolutely love in coaches. When I think of some of the best coaches across all of sports, I think of Sean McVay, a guy who just brings a lot of excitement. I think of Tom Izzo, even at his old age, he you see him fist pumping and, and getting into it with his players and getting fired up and getting excited. However, I do have a lot of concern um, if Dan Campbell is to be hired as the new head coach of the Detroit Lions. Currently, he's the tight end coach and the assistant head coach for the New Orleans Saints. And one of my big concerns is I, I could be wrong, but I've never heard of Dan Campbell calling plays. Nope, never. Um, and that's definitely a concern I have as well, Josh. However, over the course of, you know, hearing this news kind of come out from, you know, the end of the Saints room, which we're going to talk about a little bit later on today, but you know, a, a comparison I've, I've kind of seen and maybe, maybe I'm reaching here, but Dan Campbell kind of comes across a little bit as a Joe Judge, kind of a blue-collar, hardworking man who's real passionate about football, big football guy who's going to really inspire his locker room by kind of leading from the front. I mean, at the very least, if you guys take a second real quick and Google a picture of Dan Campbell, the guy looks like a football guy. And I think that that's kind of what Detroit, oh, what Detroit yeah. needs. The, the words in the articles I've read about him, the, the, the big word that comes from him is passion. And the second word, well, I mean, I guess it's more of a phrase, is a locker room guy. You know, I, I've been a long-standing theory that the problem with the Lions is that our culture comes from a culture of never being good enough. 
and I'm not going to sit here and proclaim this early on in the process that these two gentlemen are going to be the guys who are going to completely alter the culture. Over Dan Campbell was on that 0-8 Lions team. He felt the pain that that this city has felt. And I think that with his background, as limited as, as that I do know it, but with his background that I do understand, he's the kind of guy who's going to let us spark under our players. Very similar, like I was saying a little bit earlier, to Joe Judge. And I think that the Lions and the Giants can be a little bit comparable here. You know, we have some talent. Giants have some talent, too. Our defense needs work. The Giants' defense is better. I think the Lions' offense is better. But Joe Judge really, I mean, he fought his fucking offensive lineman head, like, coach. Like, like that kind of intensity, I think, in the city of Detroit, that that real blue-collar, hard hat wearing, you know, we're going to go kick this shit out of the next team. I think that kind of mentality can go a long way here. And if this man can inspire the guys in that locker room to really fight for and buy into the system, I think we're going to really see some results here. That being said, and I don't really want to get into too much offseason talk today, Josh, because we have a long offseason ahead of us, but is Matt Safford the guy? I mean, this is going to be a conversation we're going to talk about several, several times, but based off of these two presumed hire, well, one hire and one presumed hire, do you think they keep Matt Stafford? This is our way too early to tell prediction. I think they do keep Matt Stafford. It, it, it's I don't know if it's the right move for the franchise or for Matt Stafford personally, just because that man has put his heart and his soul into the city of Detroit. And not just him, his his family also. They they they're beloved around the community, and it, it'll be interesting to see what kind of transpires come this NFL draft and where you know Brad Holmes wants to go, but also you know assuming Dan Campbell gets hired, where where they see this team moving forward. This defense is atrocious. There's about nine starters that we need to replace. We have Jeff Okuda, who's did not have a great rookie year, still has a lot of potential. We need help on the D-line, linebackers, safeties. You know, a priority would be re-signing Kenny Galladay. I think that's priority number one heading into this offseason. It, it'll be really interesting, though, you know, as we – continue on with this podcast and talk more and more about it, you know, leading up to the draft and what we're hearing around the league and, and that kind of stuff. Yeah, I agree with you hundred percent, Josh. I honestly, I have no idea this early on. I think they keep mass effort too, because I think at this point, Matt gives everybody the best chance to win. And I don't think that wiping house this at this stage, because I don't really think our offense is the problem. I agree with you. I think that re-signing Kenny is probably number one on that list. However, let I want to I want to kind of move on from from just our, our local Detroit sports here, and I want to talk a little bit of basketball with you. <clears throat> so specifically, you know, MSU basketball, <laughs> we were kind of on a bit of a tough tough patch there, and now we're getting some COVID break, which I mean, is kind of bad. I mean, it's bad. Obviously, our thoughts and prayers are with everyone who's you know potentially infected with COVID or anything along those lines at Michigan State basketball, like the mas- basketball team. However, 
I don't know if that break's really bad for them. That gives them some time to kind of like really sit down and figure them out. Like where, where, where do you stand there? Like, do you think we come away from this week kind of like after a team, after a bye week in the NFL, like coming out real hot or do you think this kind of kills whatever momentum we were building? I wouldn't say that we were really building <laughs> any momentum, unfortunately. Uh, but I do think this this could be helpful. The games that we did escape uh, were were games that we were probably going to lose. The two the two initial players that were uh, reported to have been diagnosed with COVID were Stephen Izzo and Mati Sissoko. Mati Sissoko is is a player that I really love, but he's incredibly, incredibly raw. He's only been playing basketball for four years uh, at a competitive level. We lost our, uh, we missed out on games, more importantly, to Iowa, Luca Garza. That would have been a tough matchup. Uh, and given he is probably my prediction to win the Naismith Player of the Year award. And the other matchup that we, uh, just found out about today was the Illinois matchup and Illinois is a very, very talented team led, uh, led by their point guard. I know his first name's IO. I cannot pronounce his last name. And then their man child of a center in Kofi Cockburn. <laughs> I don't know how MSU is going to come away from this because based off of the reports that I was seeing, Eight members of the basketball team have, to this date, tested positive. I don't know who those exact eight players are besides Steven Izzo and Mari Sissoko. I don't really know what the future is going to hold, unfortunately, for MSU basketball. I believe their next game is January 28th. So we have about nine to ten days before we find out you know, if MSU is going to play in that game, I believe it's at Rutgers. And I believe the game after that is the 31st of January against Ohio state in Columbus. So there isn't really too much here to talk about, you know, with MSU basketball, them not playing. And I'm starting to significantly feel the withdrawals because even how poorly they were playing, I do, I do miss MSU basketball. But it'll be interesting to see kind of how they've utilized this time because they're not exactly able to practice right now, which is what they really, really need, given the the struggles that they were having throughout the course of the early parts of the season. So, I, you know, MSU basketball, it's it's a little up in the air right now. Like you said, we do wish speedy recoveries and – you know, health to everyone. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and honestly, I mean, you know, I think that in this COVID year, I'm not exactly sure that anything that happens necessarily is a referendum on Tom Izzo's legacy. I've seen a few people rumbling on Twitter, like calling for Izzo's head based off of a couple of bad coaching decisions, but you know, I, I it is Twitter. And interestingly enough, speaking of Twitter, I'm not a big NBA guy, as we've talked about before. Personally, I think on this show. However, I do happen to get all of my NBA information from Twitter. 
I recognize that it's not probably the best source, but <laughs> it is the only thing I use. I don't fact check. I don't do anything. The only vibes I get are from Twitter. And so that being said, there's been pretty big news in the NBA since the last time we spoke on the show, Josh, and that's James Harden to the Nets. So James Harden in Houston, I guess, was a problem, according to NBA Twitter, that I'm not even really a part of. And he also was significantly overweight, I guess. All I know as I look back, my feed refreshes. He's now on the Nets for a bunch of things. And he also lost like 35 pounds. So walk me and maybe other listeners who are a little unsure. What's really going on with that? Yeah, I mean, there was, I believe, a four-team trade between the Cleveland Cavaliers, the Brooklyn Nets, the Houston Rockets, and the Indiana Pacers. I don't remember all of the exact picks. I know there were a lot of picks involved. Karis LeVert, Jarrett Allen, who were both in Brooklyn. Karis LeVert's now in Indiana on the Pacers. He's out with, I believe, uh, some sort of mass on his lung, I believe. Oh, geez. Well, I really, I mean, I really hope that works out for him. Yeah, we definitely hope he has a a speedy recovery, you know, whatever that kind of turns out to be. Jared Allen's now on the Cleveland Cavaliers, which I believe is a great move for the Cleveland Cavaliers, given that they extended an offer to Andre Drummond. Andre Drummond is not the answer there. Jared Allen is a very, very talented center. The, excuse me, the Houston Rockets did walk away from the deal. You know, they were able to get James Harden out. They were able to get compensation picks in return. I don't love the move for the league just because I'm not, I'm really, I'm really, really against, you know, these big threes and these super teams. And I was initially very, very worried about the Brooklyn Nets and how their team was going to function with three very talented players and Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, and now adding James Harden. I have had the ability to watch the Brooklyn Nets in their game today and against the Milwaukee Bucks. They squeaked out a nail-biter. Kevin Durant and James Harden are a duo to be terrified of. I, I have to say they have a lot of scoring capability as you can see I was initially worried about James Harden not necessarily being the go-to guy as he used to be in Houston and kind of relinquishing that role to Kevin Durant someone who's arguably a top two player in this league I was worried because growing up, one of my favorite players all time was Steve Nash, and he's now the head coach of the Brooklyn Nets. I was worried that bringing James Harden here and his ego and all that and all the problems that he you know, was facing down in Houston, he was going to bring that to Brooklyn. And I really didn't want to see, see that for Steve Nash in his first year of coaching. And so far, they've looked very, very good to, together. Kyrie Irving's been out. Uh, with some personal issues. 
he should be returning here in, in the next couple of days. Uh, he had to pass through, you know, COVID protocol, uh, that kind of stuff. So it'll be really, really interesting to see kind of how the Brooklyn Nets, you know, form as a team with their three-headed monster of Irving, Harden, and Durant. Yeah, I so that – oh, sorry, Josh, oh, no, go, go ahead. ahead. No, I was going to say, so, so that kind of being said, that kind of paints the favorites for the West to be the Lakers again. And now in the East, we have the Nets. Are, are, are you seeing something other than that for a potential playoff? Like, champion, like the, the championship game in the NBA is pretty much going to be it's, – it's for the Nets to lose in the West. And it's for the – or Nets to lose in the East, my apologies, and the Lakers to lose in the West. Is that how you're seeing it as well? Ah, <sighs> oh, gosh. All right. In the West, I, I think I have to agree. I think it's the Lakers, you know, conference to lose. They they only got better this year. It was kind of remarkable, you know, signing Dennis Schroeder, or I'm sorry, trading for Dennis Schroeder and then signing the sixth man of the year award, Montrez Harrell. That team, I believe, in listening to the broadcast tonight with Brian Anderson and Reggie Miller, they said that the Cleveland, I'm sorry, not the Cleveland, the Los Angeles Lakers own the best defense in the league and that's scary because I feel like there's just so many different pieces that can go off in that lineup you have LeBron who's still I believe he's just turned 36 and he's somehow still in his prime Mm -hmm. you have Anthony Davis who's still in his prime you have Dennis Schroeder who is a very very talented point guard and then you also signed the Sixth Man of the Year award in Montrezl Harrell, who can come off the bench and give you eighteen to hell, even thirty points a game. Not including Kyle Kuzma, Alex Caruso. You know those are other guys that just are are, are willing to chip in and willing to do what it t- takes to to get their team to you know back to the NBA Finals. Now, as it pertains to the Eastern Conference. I think it's a three-team race. I still think the Bucks with Giannis and, and Chris Middleton are a force to be reckoned with. I, I've been very, very impressed this year with the Philadelphia 76ers, surprisingly. There were a lot of rumors about James Harden going to the Philadelphia 76ers that included Ben Simmons in a trade package. Now that those rumors are done and settled with, I think there's not as much drama and uncertainty that the 76ers need to worry and have as a distraction that they can kind of focus in on their team and the pieces that they have and really kind of tie things together. And then obviously any team that has a combination of Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant and James Harden is going to be in contention. I would have to say out of those three, there's just too much firepower coming from the Nets to me to see me not putting them in the NBA Finals and representing the Eastern Conference. But I really think it's going to come down to the Bucks, the 76ers, and the Brooklyn Nets. Yeah, that's definitely fair. I think kind of – I mean, uh, I don't disagree with you at all, for sure. Uh, and I think kind of coming down to the whole – Superstar on the end, NBA type situation. That's that's definitely where I get disconnected from the league. 
you know, I, I think it's kind of bullshit how the league just allows those type of trades where you just completely stack one team. Um, however, I, I guess if it works, it works. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, and I think it's also a little bit of devil's advocate to my own thought process here. It's a little unfair, too, to say, like, oh, like, these players are really good. They want to play together. Like, that's not yeah, – they should have the right to do that, too. I, I don't know. I think that as the season chugs on a little bit, I think we have a little bit more insight. Uh, I do think that, especially talking about the Nets, the diva personalities of Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and now James Harden are going to somehow mesh or maybe, I don't know. I'm not sure. It definitely be something interesting to look upon. Um but I think kind of moving on from that, I would love to spend a little bit of time focusing on the divisional round recap. There's kind of a lot of storylines that came out of this weekend in the NFL. And we now have our definitive AFC and NFC championship games lined up for this upcoming weekend. Uh, and this is only a couple of weeks away. So, Josh, without further ado, if you're comfortable, I'd love to shift over to the NFL. Yeah, real quick, though, I just want to talk slightly, very quickly about our D- our beloved Detroit Pistons. Of course, of course, of course. I'll keep it short and sweet. They're bad. <laughs> They're very really? bad. But there's a lot of hope. Killian Hayes right now out with an injury. Sadiq Bey looks incredible. Isaiah Stewart reminds me of Ben Wallace, just a ferocious animal when it comes to rebounding and defense. You know, Blake Griffin really looks like he's washed up, which kind of concerns me because I don't think we'll be able to get anything from for him uh, come come the trade deadline, which means we'd be stuck with him for another year and a, another massive contract. Derek Rose is Derek Rose. He's looking good. Uh, I wouldn't expect him to stick around past the trade deadline. Uh, I think uh, Troy Weaver is going to ship him out and try and get some picks, some additional compensation. Uh, but, uh, you know, aside from that, I would love to to kind of dive into the, uh, you know, start to look ahead to the divisional, I'm sorry, the NFC and AFC championship and kind of recap the divisional weekend. Yeah, for sure. I mean, first and foremost, Blake Griffin was one of my favorite players in the NBA growing up. And to see him kind of get a little bit washed is hard to see. I hope that you can somehow figure it out. And, you know, hopefully maybe you can get traded to a team that can go ahead and he can he can kind of ride off into the sunset with another championship. Uh, however, moving on to football, the bread and butter of American society, I guess. The number one sport by far. Let's get into it. Starting things off, we had Green Bay, and essentially, <laughs> I, from a betting perspective, I had to ride the Rams because I took the Seahawks the week before, and at this point, you kind of got to you kind of got to get on the Rams because, like, you know, they beat the Seahawks. Maybe they could beat the Packers. I didn't get a chance to watch too much of this game, but the Packers pretty much cleaned up the mess that were the Rams this year. I mean, the Rams are pretty injury prone. Jared Goff was never 100% Jared Goff. I fully anticipate them to be back next year. Uh, anytime you have Sean as your coach, like you're going to have a good time. What were your takeaways, if there were any, on this game, Josh? Yeah, you know, I didn't have too many takeaways as it pertains to this game. I did get to to watch it. It was a, a little bit 
of a closer game uh, initially than I had expected. Uh, in, in my can't lose parlay, I did have the Rams plus seven, and that did not hit, <laughs> which was tough uh, for my hypothetical parlay. But it's it's Aaron Rodgers. It's the 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 Green Bay offense just has so many so many weapons that they can go to. Devontae Adams not, didn't necessarily have his way with Jalen Ramsey, but he was able to put up, you know. He put up a good fight. Yeah, he put up a good fight. I believe he had over six, seven receptions. He caught a touchdown. There was also Robert Tunyon played well. The duo running back of Aaron Jones, Jamal Williams, was able to keep the ball moving, including A.J. Dillon. They were able to move the ball on the ground, which is not easy to do against that stout Rams defense. It's going to be interesting to kind of see how the Packers are able to utilize their home field advantage for next week. But it's I'm, I'm starting to realize more and more it is very hard to bet against Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. Yeah, and to get into account, I also had the Rams plus the points, and I had them in a single-game parlay, so I had them plus points. I think I got them at six and a half. Plus the over, uh, the over hit, fantastic. I love seeing overs. Turns out overs in the playoffs are kind of not not hand in hand. I did not really realize that beforehand, but you know, moving forward, I think I'm, I might have to favor the unders a little bit here in the upcoming week. However, you know, Rams plus six and a half, which is the line that I had them at, never really stood a chance. There was a couple of moments where I was like, oh, maybe, but. I agree with you, Josh. The superior offensive weapons on the Green Bay Packers pull ahead. And that pains me to say because as a Lions fan who was also obviously in the NFC North, I don't want to see the Packers do well. Uh, But that being said, let's kind of move on here to the next game of Saturday, which was the Bills versus the Ravens. You know, this is the battle of the QBs of the draft class in 2018. And obviously, I think that there was a winner and a non-winner. Josh <laughs> Allen, Josh Allen, kind of pulled away here. Um, I really do respect Lamar Jackson. However, his inability to make some key passes is going to plague him. And granted, the Ravens don't have fantastic receivers. Hollywood Brown, I'm not sure, has earned the nickname Hollywood, but um. Agreed. Definitely. Maybe his time is in the future. I'm not going to discredit him. I mean, Christ, he's for sure a better receiver than I would ever be. However, <laughs> it's a little difficult for me to take you. So I would Brown when he missed pretty wide open catches. And Lamar Jackson, I mean, by far, definitely the league MVP last year, no doubt. That man, when he's on the move, I mean, he's probably better than Michael Vick, which is, you know, kind of reaching a little bit. But Michael Vick can make a pass. And Lamar Jackson, he hasn't quite gotten there yet. And I want him to. I love Lamar Jackson. I think that he's a fantastic player of the league. I think he's a great face of the league. And I think that what he can do with his legs is is fucking impressive. Like, it's just there's no – it's jaw-dropping. I mean, quite literally jaw-dropping 
when that man starts to gain speed as he climbs up the pocket, like when he decides that it's time to run, that motherfucker is gone. And it is so impressive to see. And the way that he just absolutely mangles defenses is, is all inspiring. However, it's the NFL. And the NFL is full of a bunch of guys who are real smart at the game of football. And when you have a quarterback who is not fully a dual-threat quarterback, they're going to start figuring out how to cover you. And I think that that was Lamar's biggest struggle this year. You know, when he won MVP, no team had any idea how to deal with his speed and, and just Lamar in general. This year, every team seemed to have at least some sort of manuscript on how to deal with him. And he wasn't as successful. And I think that he's a smart guy. He's got a good work ethic. Actually, scratch that. A fantastic fucking work ethic. And I think that he will get better at throwing the football. I think the coaches around him are good enough to coach him to get there. And I think that his GM believes in him. So, like, he's going to get there. He's just not there yet. Yeah. You know, I, I have to agree with you on a lot of points there, Trevor. Lamar Jackson, he's without question a, a remarkable athlete at the quarterback position, but he it really, really hurts him that he is not as efficient of a thrower, especially in the pocket. You know, he's able to keep plays alive with his feet, and, and when he gets outside of the pocket, it truly, like you said, it's, it's draw-jopping. And, and I just... I hope for the sake of the city of Baltimore and the Ravens franchise that Lamar can, can put it together. I do agree that he definitely needs some help uh, this off season in the wide receiver department. There's a couple of, you know, routes that the Ravens can go. They can test free agency, go after, you know, make a splash, sign Allen Robinson. They can go to the draft, you know, maybe if one of the wide receivers of, Devontae Smith or Jalen Waddle starts to fall. Maybe they can trade up and try and get someone like there because I think I don't think Hollywood Brown is a wide receiver one by any means. And that's not to say that Jalen Waddle or Devontae Smith is a wide receiver one either. But I do think that moving forward and, and looking into the offseason, the Ravens do really need to address the wide receiver position. As, long, as well as, you know, Lamar trying to improve upon his his passing ability and his touch and his, you know, finesse when it comes to deep balls and, you know, underneath routes and crossing routes, that kind of stuff, being able to pick up on maybe some coverages a little bit better. But when you have that kind of speed, you, you can escape the pocket and after after you escape the pocket and you're moving the ball upfield it's kind of hard to stop especially when that man gets to his top speed and his ability to change direction at that kind of speed and i do think i do think that he gets there and sorry i'm not trying to cut you off at all but i do think that he gets there i think that lamar jackson is incredibly coachable and I think that he takes things very personally. He's again, he's very a very good athlete. Obviously, I do think that he gets there, but it's going to take him a couple more years. I think some better talent around him at receiver core is going to really help him get there a little bit faster. But if we want to talk about a guy who's already there, I think that we need to look at our next game, which is the early Sunday game, and we have to focus here on Patrick Mahomes. 
he went out with an injury, which sucks for the game of football and for him personally. I mean, he's a bright young star. No one wants to see him to get hurt ever, even if they're obviously not a bright young star. But Kansas City Chiefs are good. And I don't know if anybody in the entire world has bigger balls than Andy Reid. The Browns had a lot of opportunities in that game to go ahead and win. And if you're a Browns fan listening to us right now, I can understand how you may be very angry and even disappointed. But at the same time, too, I think it's important to look at how the season expectations were beforehand. And those expectations, I think, by any Browns fan were to have a winning record, perhaps make the playoffs. And you accomplish those two things with flying colors. You know, Kevin Stefanski's challenge flag with like six and a half minutes left in the game on a catch for a second down that was not going to give you a first down. That kind of hurt. Punting the ball away with over five minutes left in the game. Grant, deep in your own territory, but that kind of hurt. So I think that this Browns team can take a lot from this loss. And I think that there are a lot of lessons that they learned here. And I think that they gained valuable playoff experience. And I honestly would not be too surprised if you see the Browns, if they're not Vegas favorites of the NFC North next year, I think that they might be personal affairs of the NFC North, AFC North next year. And I don't think that you're wrong for thinking that the Browns are now fully in contention. Uh, I think that they've turned the corner. I think that Baker Mayfield had a great game. I think that Baker Mayfield is living up to his first overall pick status. He is the quarterback for the future future in the Browns. Uh, if you're a Cleveland fan, you know what? You're disappointed a little bit. You're a little bit sad. You didn't you didn't make it further, but you got to be goddamn fucking excited for the next few years here. It's going to be fun to be in Cleveland. That being said, I think we can't go much further than talk about the backup for KC. I mean, that motherfucker played some football. Uh, when Patrick Mahomes went out, I mean, he's Patrick fucking McCombs. He's a good he's a good quarterback. He's probably the best quarterback in the league right now. When he goes down, I immediately was like, man, Browns got this. And for me, I had Browns money line plus Browns over because as everyone who's ever listened to the show or talked to me in person knows, I am fucking obsessed with taking a same game parlay over plus the underdog money line. And for a split second, I thought that I was going to get the promised glory of the money line. Browns, but the over never stood a chance here. Josh, I got to ask you here, what were your thoughts of Kansas City? How do you think they fare for next week against the Bills? I am inc- I, 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 I'm almost at a loss of words to try and describe the kind of excitement that I'm feeling between the Bills and the Chiefs. It'll be interesting to see whether or not, you know, Patrick Mahomes will be good to go for this weekend. If not, it's going to be up to former Michigan quarterback Chad Henney, who's been in the league for 13 seasons now. God, that's a long fucking time. If Patrick Mahomes is out for this game, uh, by, by God's grace, I think the Bills are going to be in the, in the Super Bowl. I think that the Bills defense will be able to do enough to stop the Kansas City offense. I think probably one of the most exploitable areas for that game is going to be the tight end 
and, and Travis Kelsey kind of just exploiting that defense. The Bills do, I believe I saw a statistic that they possess the worst defense against tight ends. Travis Kelsey is the best tight end in the game right now. It'll be really interesting to see kind of how this week transpires and, you know, what happens with Patrick Mahomes and his concussion and concussion protocol. I'm very, very excited for this game. I think, you know, Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs have an incredible, just just a phenomenal connection between the two of them on the field and off of the field. It's been fantastic to watch. I agree completely with you there, Josh. Yeah, and uh, it's just, it's not only football for the two of them. It really seems like the two of them together have a very special and inseparable bond. The Bills defense is going to be, you know, asked to do a very, very tall task in, in, you know, guarding Tyree Kill, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, Travis Kelsey on the offensive side of the ball. I do see this game being, you know, pretty, pretty high scoring. But I think a lot of this does depend upon, you know, Patrick Mahomes and, and his health. I think, I mean, we can get to our, we're going to get to our AFC and NFC championships a little bit later this week. But just quick last comment on this here. I think a lot of this game depends on weather. If it's clear and sunny, I think, you know, I mean, not even sunny in games, obviously not going to be played during the day, but. If the weather isn't a factor, I think Josh Allen's the better quarterback at this matchup, at least right now. Patrick Mahomes comes back, that's a different conversation. But as of right now, he is out. If this becomes to a grunting run game type game, you know, foul weather, I think that favors KC. However, like I said, we're going to get into our championship weekend a little bit later on you know the episode is going to come out on friday so please listen to it then follow us on twitter also at motor city bets um however we have one last game for this divisional round recap and that is easily summarized is probably you know it's the most hollywood game of all time you have an aging quarterback who hasn't exactly been given all the chances a little undersized went to a non- huge college, but still find a way to break his way into the league and then end up setting all these records. Only one Super Bowl win, but a perennial contender versus a guy who has fucking done everything. (laughs) And uh, I think that as a fan of the game, watching Drew Brees, even at his washed up older state, versus Tom Brady, even at his washed up older state, I mean, like that's that's what you dream about in in a divisional round, or even just in playoff football in general. Uh, personally, I think back in 2018 when the Rams, you know, the bullshit call against the Saints, the bullshit pass interference that resulted in the Rams finding a way to win in overtime, propelling them to the Super Bowl. I think that the world was owed Brady versus Breeze, and it's pretty sad that this is the variant or rather the version of the two of them that we saw. And I honestly don't even really want to talk too much about this game. I don't think that Brady was too impressive. It was more of a story of Breeze being so unimpressive, and that just makes me fucking sad. Drew Breeze is one of those quarterbacks that I grew up with as a little boy, just being like, damn, like, that's the fucking guy, you know? Like, 
playing backyard football, you drop back, you feel like fucking Drew Brees. He's just he's one of the most humble guys out there. You know, he didn't go to a, a top football school. I mean, Purdue obviously does all right. They beat Ohio State every now and again. Yeah, fuck Ohio State. Um, and either way, you know, it's just Drew Brees undersized. He's He just comes into the league and starts tearing up. So that's all these records. You know, I can't wish anything better for the man in retirement. I really, 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 really wanted to see – them walk out with at least a trip to the Super Bowl to cap off a, a fantastic Hall of Fame career for Drew Brees. But, you know, his quarterback play was bad, and as soon as Tampa Bay realized that they didn't need to cover further than five yards on the field, stuff got a little tumultuous for Mr. Brees. And, you know, I think the Saints moving forward, I think they were a better team. I think the Saints are probably one of the best teams in football. They find their quarterback, and all of a sudden, those guys are dangerous. I don't want to say it, but I'm going to anyway. I think that a guy like Matt Stafford wearing the black and gold jersey down there in New Orleans, Mm -hmm. that is a dangerous, dangerous football team. Uh, but like I said, we're going to get in some more off-season antics a little bit later on there. Josh, is there anything else you want to comment on about Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay versus New Orleans. Yeah, this was probably one of the games that I was looking most forward to this weekend. You know, the the, the hype leading up to this game was Brady versus Breeze, Brady versus Breeze. We've been wanting it for so long. We haven't gotten it, you know, in any Super Bowls. I was very unimpressed with both quarterbacks, if I'm being honest. Drew Brees looked like, you know, it's it's his time. And there were flashes where Tom Brady was, you know, displaying the same exact thing. I took the Tampa Bay Bucks plus 10 as part of my can't lose hypothetical parlay. I had a feeling that the defense for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers was going to be a little bit better. Devin White is an absolute animal Please at stay. linebacker for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And only in his second season, there's just too many options, I think, for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to go to on offense. You've got Mike Evans. You've got Chris Godwin, Rob Gronkowski. Rob Gronkowski. You've got uh, Leonard Fournette. You've got Ronald Jones. Hell, Scotty Miller. You got a lot of places that you can kind of get the ball to. I don't know how well they're going to fare when it comes to the kind of Green Bay Packer matchup as it pertains to this weekend, but. You know, as you said, we can kind of dive into that a little bit more as we uh, in Friday's episode, as we talk about the NFC and AFC championship previews. Yeah, absolutely. I think last comments on this game. Uh, I think we're going to get some long term fantastic video content about the the conversation that Drew Brees and Tom Brady had, where Brady threw a press to one of Drew Brees' kids, and it was just. I mean, that's fucking touching. Uh, anytime you can see something like that, it just kind of warms our heart a little bit. 
And lastly, I think that turnovers absolutely fucked the Saints in that game. Uh, if you want to talk about the battle of the running backs between big name backs such as Alvin Kamara and Leonard Fournette, I think both held their own a little bit, but Alvin Kamara is just fucking. I mean, he is, in my opinion, it was Alvin Kamara and then Dalvin Cook is the two best running backs in the NFL. I mean, if I'm trying to build a franchise around two guys right now in today's day, I'm taking those two. However, I think that that kind of wraps up our divisional round recaps. Like like Josh said, we're going to talk about the championship round on Friday's episode, so please tune in then. However, we wouldn't be the premier gambling podcast in Detroit if we didn't talk about gambling. So without further ado, I'd like to bring a little bit more gambling into this conversation, Josh, if you're, if you're good with that. I had my first Ofer weekend in the National Football League since Thanksgiving. Folks, I have been on a complete and utter heater. Been winning a lot. This weekend, I won no bets in the NFL. And that's um, that's hard to see. You know, it's playoffs for me too. And it's hard when you don't win. The Saints losing really kind of fucks me. I, I would have gone up decently had they decided to win. And that just obviously wasn't the case. Fortunately for me, the NHL is back, and I won my first NHL parlay this weekend, which allowed me to break even. That being said, though, I have now – I'm only one for nine on NHL bets. I have no model yet for betting on the NHL. It is very hard. However, I'm willing to go through the pain and the suffering for you guys, our listeners. I will find a way to successfully bet on the NHL. I am just not there yet. Um, however, I do have a couple picks NHL regarding for the rest of this week before, you know, before we talk to you guys again on Friday. So tomorrow, you know, today, Tuesday, we have the Az versus the Kings plus the Sabres versus the Flyers. I think that in those two games, the Avs are going to dummy the Kings, and I think the Flyers are going to dummy the Sabres. <sighs> that pays out plus 320. I think that's a fair bet. And then we also have on Thursday now, so a couple of days from today, the Bruins versus the Flyers. I think that the Bruins win that game. I think the Flyers go on a little bit of a skid here. I um, have the Avs with the Kings. So if you take Bruins and Avs, that's also plus like 400. I have not locked in my NHL betting yet. So by no means follow me in that regard. If anything, please fade me. And like Josh and I always say, if you have a problem, please call 1-800-GAMBLER. You know, please just take our picks as merely references. Don't follow us. And if you do decide to follow us, please bet responsibly. Josh, do you have any closing remarks when it comes to betting? Uh, the only very, very exciting news that I have been waiting since God damn Trevor. I think I was bugging the shit out of you since December about this. But according to playmichigan.com and the updates that they provide us when it comes to Michigan online casinos and sports betting, word is expected Tuesday, which is tomorrow when this podcast podcast drops about the launch of online gambling i'm really really hoping that they officially announce the launch 
tomorrow. And then hopefully by, you know, Friday, you and I could be laying down some nice little AFC, NFC championship parlays for this upcoming weekend. I don't think I would mind that. No, Josh, I actually couldn't be more excited. Uh, you nailed that right on the head there. And all comes down to this meeting on Tuesday. PlayMachine.com has been our resource this entire time, and they've been pretty accurate. They they predict that that we're going to be able to go live with bets on Friday, which puts us right in contention for a championship weekend. We also would be mid-season NBA and early mid-season NHL. So there's a lot of bets out there, and we're going to continue – to provide our picks, our content for you guys. Please follow us on Twitter, like I said, at Motor City Bets. And then go ahead and like and subscribe. We really appreciate you guys listening. We can't wait to talk to you guys a little bit later this week. Thanks again. Peace.